You know what I like almost as much as going hunting? Hunting for gear. And there's lots of places you can shop and there's lots of products you can choose from. But one of my favorite places to consider when I'm in the market is with my friend Omer down at Precision Optics in Quinell, British Columbia. So he's got this great little uh, gun store tucked in the side of Aroma Foods. He's an absolutely awesome, awesome dude to talk to. Uh, so let's say uh, you are in the market market for, you know, one of the new uh, hot what's happening kind of rifles like the new Weatherby TI or the Savage Ultra like 110 with that uh, new proof barrel that they put on there. Or maybe like me, you're in the market for a backpack. I just picked up a new Stone Glacier 5900 R3 and uh, I got it from Omer. He's got lots of that stuff in stock. Um, maybe that goat or sheep hunt that's coming up, time to upgrade the optics and get a new rifle scope or spotting scope. So maybe you want Night Force or Swarovski or Leupold. Omer's got a little bit of everything. What I'll tell you what he has a whole pile of, other than great merchandise. He's got a lot of experience on mountaintops all around BC hunting for goats and sheeps and other critters. And he has put all of the gear that he sells, he puts uh, to the test. Uh, in mountain hunting scenarios every single year. He's a kick-ass hunter, a dynamite supporter of conservation initiatives. Wild Sheep Society absolutely loves him, as do we, because he puts his money where his mouth is, and he puts money towards conservation, supporting a number of events every single year. So um, there are lots of great businesses all around BC. Omer just happens to be one of my favorite people to do business with in the outdoor space. So if you are looking for something in a in a rifle, in optics, in uh, you know gear, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're, you're, you're thinking of, or if you just have questions, he's there to answer them all. So take advantage of a great facility with, with somebody with a lot of great wisdom to apply and help you make a really, really good decision. So precisionoptics.net on the interweb. Tell Omer we sent you and uh, he'll give you nothing but a lot of great advice. <laughs> You're listening to the Cutbangs Conversation, a hunting, fishing, and conservation-based podcast here in beautiful British Columbia, proudly sponsored by Spruce City Wildlife Association. So, uh, you know, I think it's time to change the attitude. I, I think it's time to accept what Canadians are saying, which is, you know, the days of, you know, hunting for your family and providing for your family. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent that happens, but let, let's be real. People do not go and, you know, shoot 20 deer and feed their family venison every night. First of all, the family would reject that because venison is not that great. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's time, I think, that we, we acknowledge what Canadians are saying, which is, you know, the days of the, you know, of the pioneer lifestyle, they're, they're long since gone. And, uh, and we want to see a restriction on these types of uh, firearms. We want to see a restriction on, uh, on, assault weapons we want to see a restriction on handguns that's our expectation and we expect our political leaders to follow through with that now there's been a lot of um, 
there's been a lot of attention uh, paid, you know, on uh, liberal government's plans. But I look at it really as uh, rather uh, the beginning of a broad sweep of, of legislative changes. Um, you know, yeah, the, the talk now is about, you know, the, the ban, the buyback on assault rifles, the, the, uh, the, uh, the banning or, or, or restriction of uh, handguns to uh, gun clubs and that kind of thing. This is just the beginning of a broad sweep, I think. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that we're going to start talking about um, more than that. And we're going to start talking about the the role of firearms in um, intimidation and in, in intimate partner violence. We're going to start talking more about femicide. We're going to start talking more about uh, access to firearms for people who suffer from severe mental illness and its role mm -hmm. in suicide prevention. And we're going to start talking to a certain extent about how we prevent mass shootings, which are again rare, but they do happen in Canada. So, so uh, you know, give give the government, give the minister his due, uh, realize that we're just in the beginning of a process of a reformation uh, of the approach to uh, gun access in Canada. All right, Stevie Wonder. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Cut Banks Conversation. <laughs> Matt, Steve. <laughs> if that doesn't open your eyes to what the hell is going on in our country, I don't know what does. Yeah, that's that's something else. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Alan Drummond um, and a few of his uh, his comments from uh, not that long ago, uh, speaking about what is uh, where we're going to start this conversation. So, uh, episode nineteen is going to be oh boy, do we've got a we've got a jambalaya of stuff for you guys tonight. Uh, lots of things to speak to. There's been lots been that's been going on. Uh, in and around hunting, um, you know, the shooting community, fishing community, I guess, as well. But uh, we're going to be really uh, diving deep uh, on a couple of issues. Now, remember, this is just uh, Steve, Matt, and I. We're just going to be, this is going to be lots of off-the-cuff stuff. We're not scientists. We're not <laughs> politicians. Um, we're just some guys with some opinions. Uh, and we're going to get into those opinions right now. So, anyway, um, let, let's kind of start with, uh, Dr. Drummond. So I didn't realize that I guess I missed the, I guess the, I missed the memo. Uh, I didn't know that hunting as a lifestyle was over. I didn't know that venison was, uh, wasn't tasty. I didn't know that, uh, you know, it was an anachronism. Uh, I didn't know we'd moved past it. Uh, thoughts? I, I, uh, shouldn't have had venison for supper tonight. I have no idea it was terrible. I shouldn't have had seconds. What we just listened to was pure unbridled misinformation that was um, ignorant at best and insulting at worst. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. Well, I thought you were totally going to that part in, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Billy Madison, where what we heard <laughs> is the absolute <laughs> dumbest thing. And we're I all said, dumber from having listened to it. I swerved off of that a little okay. bit. So, uh, so a, couple of, a couple of things have just, just, just I mean, is there, is there space, do, are the things that he is concerned about things that people in, in Canada should be concerned out, about and our gun owners concerned about? Do we want mass shootings? No, we don't. Do Absolutely we, not. Do we want, we, we would like some mechanisms that we think would be realistic to, that would deter them. You know, red flag laws, yellow flag laws, do they need to exist on some level? Um, but we're not talking about, we're talking about some fairly broad stroke, strokes, pardon me, and some fairly liberal applications in this, this new version, mm -hmm. uh, in these amendments. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other things, you know, um, that they're burying into this. Um, 
and the the problem is is that they don't do anything to solve some of the the, the greater issues, which for him would be, you know, making people feel safer um, on in their homes and on the streets, and getting illegal guns off the streets, which really is where the real issue is uh, when we look at you know gun related crimes specifically. Uh, and gun-related homicide in Canada. So. No, to- totally agree. He He's a doctor, so he does see the worst side of firearms, I'd, I'd say. But I, I would love to know what his stats are for people that are uh, hit by cars. Well, and it's interesting that he uses the word attention as if the attention is, is suddenly cast onto, onto firearms. Mm-hmm. I wonder where else we could direct this attention. We have a lot of crises happening in this country right now. Absolutely. Uh, we have COVID. We have, that has been seeping underneath all this COVID stuff is an opioid epidemic and an opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. We, I, I wrote down some stats specifically for this. If we're just comparing apples to apples here, the newest data that we have on firearms deaths, uh, firearms homicides in Canada is in 2018. And in the year 2018, we lost 249 Canadians to firearms violence. This past year, from January to July, this isn't even the full year, we have lost 2,600 Canadians to opioid overdoses. Yeah, not even a full year. Not even a full year, and, and, and it pales in comparison. And, and tragic, it's, it's tragic, no matter, matter how they're dying, but uh, drugs are illegal, and it hasn't stopped that, that flow of deaths. Yep. Drinking Absolutely. And, drinking and driving is illegal. It doesn't stop people getting from behind, getting behind the wheel. Exactly. It hasn't stopped you know, motor vehicle fatalities that are related to alcohol. Um, but, I mean, in all of that, um, they've added some other new layers into this legislation just to just to you know convolute the plot even more, and it makes me and it it, it makes it even more ridiculous because I really can't tell what we're legislating for, and I'm going to speak specifically to the C21 component that talks about um, removing mid-velocity replica firearms. So anything that looks like an assault-style weapon um, that's a replica, you know, so that could be our friends in the airsoft community or pellet guns or whatever. Um, if it, if it looks like a duck uh, and it and it doesn't shoot like a duck, but as long as it looks like the duck, they're going to get rid of it. Um, and I mean, and there's not even I don't see a proposal as a as a as a bridge gap like get them to license these uh, weapons. It's strictly it's going to be either you 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 have them now, you won't have them later. Um, you're killing an entire sport, uh, a recreation. Um, you're you're killing businesses that are entirely wound around airsoft. Um, I don't know how does this affect, how does this what what mechanism does this serve to reduce gun crime? That's what I'm trying to wrap my head around is what what harm are these actually bringing to our communities? The only thing that I can think of is um, using a, a firearm like that in a robbery. But what's way more accessible than airsoft guns, knives, ball peen hammers? It it doesn't serve anything. Other than to take something away from some the, than people in our community. Yeah, I saw a part where it said that if if a, if it could reasonably be assumed to be a firearm, it can be banned. So Ian Runkle, uh, Runkle of the Bailey, the, the firearms lawyer, went into a great uh, video there, and he he pulled up some stats, and he said things that have been reasonable and mistaken for a firearm and ended in police shootings have been things from remote control for your TV. Uh, bag of chips, cell phones, cell, cell phones, phone, combs, wallet, combs, y- you name it. 
So it's up to that interpretation. And that's where the problem is laying really, really deeply in this is it's that interpretation of, okay, is he holding a replica firearm or is it a bag of chips, right? It's, it gets ugly when you you dial it down like that. And and I've, I've, uh, there's a couple of other things that have gone along with this. I mean, with the, on the airsoft side of it, I just, I mean, I have to shake my head. So, you know, I have a friend that, uh, you know, has BB guns and stuff out of his, his cottage in Saskatchewan. And he's like, I got to get rid of these things. Like he said, honestly, I can't shoot cans at my cottage anymore. And I'm like, depending on the velocity and depending on what they look like, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was reading some uh, responses from people in the airsoft community, you know, that are in some of the tournament style stuff that have said, hey, listen, you want me to make the barrel pink, right? So that makes it better for you guys. Let me know. You want me to register the, the firearm? You want, you know, you want, what do you want us to do? Um, so that we can continue to do what we do. So you guys make it feel safer for yourselves. Like, give us some flexibility to, to do this thing. We're willing to work you with it. It doesn't sound like we're even willing to have that discussion. It's just like, no, no, too much like guns, got to go. What about a slingshot? Yeah. <laughs> don't don't give him any ideas, Matt. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's already buried in there. It, but, it, could, it could be because, well, is it reasonably to be assumed to be a firearm? Yeah. It depends on the distance and the light that you're in and the eyesight of the person that's looking at you, right? Totally. The other part of this is that, that, I mean, at least where the airsoft is concerned, uh, and I mean, a, a lot of the discussion around the, the larger firearms ban mm-hmm. is that we're, you know, going through this uh, buyback mechanism. Um, and then there's some discussion, you know, that's being held around uh, d- different tables that in order to, w- once you activate this legislation um, in, in, the lieu, in lieu of a buyback, now you, you might try to force people to cement out the barrels. Yep right, and deactivate them. And the re- only reason you would do that is, well, if we get enough of these things deactivated, it, if there is a change of government, uh, you know, and they would imagine that if there was a conservative government, you know, we would probably be looking at repealing it like they did the long gun registry. But you've already made all of those uh, those weapons inactive. That's right. So, uh, you know, firearms, sorry for those of you that are listening, they're going to, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, we got to deactivate the clips that go in them too, I'll take the heat there You'll take the heat there. And then for these folks on the airsoft side, I mean, it's just like they're not even looking at a buyback option. It's just like, yeah, okay, well, you had them. Now you don't. So yeah, the, the toys you used to play with are now gone. And now they're gone. And this doesn't speak to anything like, you know, friends of ours, Dave and Cassie at KKS Tactical. Mm-hmm. It doesn't speak to anything that the current uh, firearm retailers, right, ha- that have this stuff in their inventory um, they're excluded right now from the buyback. That's I mean, right. it's just that's just money out the window for them. Yeah, they're sitting on I think it was fifty thousand dollars worth of stuff with the OIC that they they can't move, they can't send back, they can't touch, and you throw in airsoft. Like, come on! And we know PG Airsoft in town is in the process of opening a new building right now. So what are you, you going to do to the the small businesses as well? Yeah, and I and I and I there is no mechanism that I have found that that, that addresses any of that. And Absolutely I don't think not. We're going to find one. No, we're yeah. not going to. So um, I think that there's a, there's a lot that people need to be ticked off about, um, you know, and then, <laughs> and, and, and then in the midst of, of all of this, uh, of all of this stuff that we're dealing with right now with the, with the pellet guns, um, I mean, there's, there's all of these other things that are going on that are way more important, you know, as a country that we need to focus our energy on, you know, and you've got that we're still doing, like, really, this is the time and place you want to deal with gun legislation in the middle of all of this? This is where you want to have this? And the best for them, to, uh, is it, it, this is the best time to, to, to make it go through. It's a distraction. It's a complete distraction. And there's enough other noise going on yep. 
you know, that we can't have a meaningful debate. When's the last time we had a budget? Uh, two years ago. I mean, there, there's no meaningful debate going on in the House of Commons. You know, when we talk to, you know, members of parliament, you know, on the conservative side, it's it's hard to do anything. It's hard to, to, to get meaningful discussion around some of this stuff that has substance and requires vigorous debate, right? That's part of that's, the democratic process. That's right? how the OIC got pushed through in May, right? Yeah. The House wasn't sitting, so they used a government policy that uh, has, is only used to to push through things like little budget changes and travel expenses. Yeah, and and and, and this, I mean, and, and this whole issue has just been pushed off to the side where it will not be debated um, fairly. Um, it will have the the public spectacle that's put around it um, is is right now. Uh, mostly from us on the gun owning side, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's funny though. I did read that in all of this uh, with the buyback, etc. The fact that they continue to make it an optional buyback at current, <laughs> even, even the people in the in the anti gun lobby aren't happy with them right now. So the the people, those of us that own guns, we're not happy. Period. But right now, one of the things that I found funny is that the amount of headlines I saw that had the anti-gun lobby is equally ticked off because, what do you mean you're going to make this, this buyback optional? It can't be optional. we got to force feed that to them. They get it, we got to get those guns off the street. And in all of these discussions, I mean, they're, they're strident in their belief that it is somehow going to change crime, yet we have had almost no police agency in Canada that thinks that this will accomplish any of those end goals. There's chiefs of police coming forward going, this isn't going to work. It's, yeah, I, it's I, not going to work. Like, and what's we're talking about the media and how they're 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 pushing things aside. Like, we've got the, we've had no budget in two years. We got these uh, sex scandals going around in the military. Uh, we got the COVID. We got the vaccine failed rollout. But what are you hearing about for the last two days? The possibility that there might have been racism in the palace. Like, come on. Like, there is other things that are more important to be dealing with, and it's it, you got to direct your attention where it matters. Well, and then there's a couple of other things that we should, I mean, I, I didn't get into the, the to the to the minutiae, but I mean, the red flag slash yellow flag laws, they, ha- they have some appendix, there's a, some appendix components to that that I think are worrisome. They're very. Because you've got people that are outside of the immediate family. Mm-hmm that can have a, you know, a, a suspicion or a doubt about someone's capacity, uh, that the, their perceived uh, trouble they might be having in their own life or in a relationship, and they can report that. Now, we, they haven't spoke to how that mechanism is nope. going to play out and how they're going to adjudicate and enforce it. But what it's done is it's opened that door a lot wider, that red to yellow oh, it's scary. Uh, uh, capacity that they have to at least bring an investigation or a consideration of removing mm-hmm. someone's firearms. That is a wildly, wildly dangerous piece of legislation. And I, I have, that, that's out of everything that's on the table right now, that's, that's, the, one, that's the one I'm most concerned about. That, right? Absolutely it is. Like it, it, somebody could follow, like you could cut somebody off in traffic, not even realize it. They follow you home, call it in. Oh, you did this. Like it does, it, all it takes is that, that, that pissed off person, right? Like you, you fire somebody. Right, you break up with somebody, and there's it. It, it pisses me off. I, I I realize that there's real risk that can happen, and I and I'm not saying that we're trying to 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 move away from that. No, but we've expanded that that definition, and it's a fairly wide it's definition. It's liberal. It's very liberal. It's very liberal in its application. <laughs> and the, the and the, the bigger <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then the bigger concern ends that for for me is that now we've put an extra burden. Now everything that's a that's a complaint needs to be investigated. That's right. right. And now you you're you're taking the police that you want to get guns off the street. Now you can have some 
you know, some 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 cases where it's pure hokum, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's either malice, ill intent, misinformation, and it's a weak case to begin with. But now you've dedicated police resources to going around and chasing all of these little firearms phantoms, right? And that is, and I mean, that's reckless by itself, and that's div- that that's diverting the asset that you're trying to channel um, uh, into really being focused on dealing with gun crime. Now they're saying, okay, well now, but now that expands their vocabulary and then it, it expands their capacity to act. Well, the problem is it expands their capacity to act on things that have no merit. That's exactly right? it. Um, you know, and I don't, I, 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 what they're trying to do is find a broader application of the law that they think will net, will net more of a result and that they'll bring more real firearms uh, criminals and firearms concerns. They'll, they'll, they'll stop them. They'll mitigate them before they happen. And I think the reality is I mean, it's a it's a complete fallacy. There's no way that those those two things equal anything. No, definitely not. Either than extra resources, diverted time, mm-hmm. uh, and wasted effort. I don't know how many more lives it could ever possibly save. I, I don't know of any. Like you hear it in the states, what, what do they call it? Swatting or something? Yeah, where, where somebody just calls it in to watch the reaction and, and people are getting hurt. People it, are getting yeah, killed. It, it puts the police officers in danger as well because yeah. they don't know. They 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 think they're going into something that it might not be, or it could be the complete opposite, right? They, these officers in the justice system is already woefully overworked and you're, you're putting more on them. It's, it's ridiculous. Our officers don't need any more work. They need less no. work so that they can focus on, on what's on actually important. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And then, and the last layer before we move on from, uh, from our gun legislation discussion is now they want to push handgun, handgun legislation off to municipalities to, to oversee. We're not the bad guys. They are. Yeah. It's not our decision. So, I mean, that creates another layer. The best part is it takes the heat off of the federal government um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and puts the onus, the obligation and all of the ire of the, of the handgun community strictly on a municipality. Absolutely. It does. And depending where you're at in Canada, you're going to get wildly, uh, wildly different responses to that. I don't know why you would take something that is fe- that has federal oversight, has always had federal oversight, is served best by having federal oversight, and why you would all of a sudden take that one component, probably one of the most contentious parts, if and move the, that to a yeah. municipal level. Like, I don't know why you... I mean, I, under, I understand why. I mean, I, oh, I yeah, get me the, too. <laughs> the, the, the political happy dance makes perfect sense. But, I mean, other than that, like, what do you think you're trying to accomplish? Oh yeah, we've already we've already seen. Uh, I think it was Vancouver that the mayor said, "Oh yeah, oh, we'd yeah. love that. We're going to ban handguns immediately." And well, that's going to backfire right away. And well, guess what? He looks like the bad guy when ultimately it's a decision coming down from Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing too, and again, I am no politician, but our local government has a problem building a parkade. <laughs> Never mind <laughs> enforcing handgun legislation. Maddie's opinions may be his own. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but but it, it, it's it's a fair point. I mean, um, and and that that requires. I mean, I, I guess if you make it a in the U.S., there are lots of municipalities that mm. that have in Chicago. There's some. How are they doing with their handgun with their gun control? Yeah, exactly. New York, and these are these are places where there is no violent crime, uh, and, it, <laughs> and, it, and it is and it is uh, administered. No, I think I think you got it backwards. I don't think there's any civility. You got it backwards. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> on a different note, yeah. I've been watching The Wire on Crave. So oh, yeah. <laughs> if we're talking handgun violence. So, but hey, there is another piece to this, and I, I guess we can't move on because this is the one that actually pissed me off the most. 
There, here's here's one of the components in, in C21. Limit the glorification of violence yep. in firearms marketing and sales. And I got to read this so everybody can be, be clear on this. To create an offense under the Firearms Act to prohibit businesses advertising that depicts, counsels, or promotes firearms violence against a person with a maximum penalty of two years imprisonment for a first offense and five years for each subsequent offense. Okay. Where's the social, like, the, is there not a social burden here that, that needs to be facilitated first? Like, do we need to, not to look to people that make movies and television and say, okay, if we don't want to glorify this particular kind of stuff, take a look at the, the uh, what's popular right now. Like, seriously, this is where you think, this is where you want to plant a flag, and this is, this is an inroad into that? They're going to come after video games again. Right? They've been wanting them for years. Don't yeah. you touch my video games. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's here's another one to throw it back on. Like again, it comes to interpretation. Yeah. You know those uh those handgun targets? Yeah. They're, they're shaped like people. Yeah, for sure. So do they come after me for shooting them? Do they come after Cassie and Dave for selling them? Or do they come after the manufacturer? Or all three in one fell red flag swoop. Yeah, hard right? to say. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. Like that means ads on TV can't we don't even want to say glorify, like show target shooting. Yep. Like, well, does it, uh, it uh, zombie targets? I remember there was a, a pushback on zombie targets last year. Uh, some business owners got, uh, a lot of people were freaking out. Well, they're too much like a person. Well, come on, they're they're cartoon characters, unless you've seen Zombieland, which is a pretty awesome movie. Anyway. Well, but but, I, but I, I think that this particular one, this opens up, um, there... <laughs> There needs to be a there's a there's a necessity on on a government that wants to create this as an offense under the Firearms Act. That logic needs to be extended, and it has to have outside of the firearms industry. It, it if that's what they wanted to do, you either go whole hog or you go home, right? You're either you're, you're either legislating all of it or none of it. Now in the U.S., there's two things that would make all of this extremely difficult: First Amendment, Second Amendment, right? In Canada. All we have is a freedom of speech, right? Well, even then. And, 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 <laughs> well, but I mean, we have that, right? But we don't have, I mean, and that's the one thing that we don't, we, we don't have a second amendment like the, the no. U.S., so we can't have, we don't have that uh, in our back pocket to, to use as a litigation tool. But in this particular case, mm-hmm. um, this, this has a lot in terms of freedom of expression, and there is some latitude in this to defend this. Oh, because is. this is an asinine play to, to, to add um, you know, and this is the whole, this is the moral, com- this is that moral police part of it um, that they're trying to add into this. Well, they're gateway guns, remember? That's what this is. Yeah. Well, it's, it, ta- well, it's training them to shoot at people. Well, right? but yeah. And, and so, and so what is Call of Duty, right? Exactly. Like, you know, what, what is Call of Duty? You know, what's, exactly. uh, you know, uh, what's watching The Town, right? Great movie. Watching Heat, right? You, so yeah. you can't play that anymore? I guess you're going to get the CRTC to take that off the air. And so we can, is that where we're going with this next? I wouldn't doubt it. You know, but I if, really if that's, if that's where you want to get to, you've got to play the whole game. And it, it, I mean, if they're in it for the long game, this is where it starts. And maybe that's where it ends. Should be an offense to put a sock puppet in government. <laughs> maybe it is. We just haven't got there yet. So. <laughs> Let's push for that. All right. Well, uh, <sighs> so we don't go too far down that rabbit hole. There's lots more that I, I'm sure will come in time. Uh, there's lots to be said on that. Um, if you if you have a specific, there's two, there's two big organizations doing a lot of the heavy lifting right now, the NFA, the National Firearms Association, and CCFR. And uh, both of them are doing a lot of work. They're, they're advocating. If you're not a member uh, uh, and you're listening to this podcast, I have a sneaking suspicion you own a gun uh, or you own a bow. 
uh, and you need to be a member of one of those organizations uh, because they're advocating and they're the ones fighting that fight right yeah, now. Yeah, just speaking of owning a bow, uh, you look deeper into there and it looks like they could be coming after crossbows and uh, black powder and tannerite because of explosive, Explo- yeah, explosives, explosives, right? Component, yeah. So there goes the uh, muskets and muzzle loaders and all crap like well, that. Yeah, propane tanks. Yep. Hey, <laughs> it ban ban the Pinto. All right. Um, so let's let's shift gears a little bit. Um, so we're going to switch into the wildlife space, and this is going to occupy the, the bulk of the, the rest of our conversation. So, um, so not that long ago, um, Vancouver Island, I mean, over the last, the last year, it's been a little bit of a lightning rod yeah. uh, on some issues. Start, um, started with Takaya. Started with Takaya. So you had the wolf that we've talked about already, um, and it's killed by a hunter. Legally, legally, in, in season, reported as per their requirements, yep. nothing, nothing was wrong with it. No, nothing was wrong with it. So uh, the animal's killed. Uh, it's reported all is well, but all is now not well with the world because that thing has uh, been on television and documentaries and has uh, developed uh, a a big fan club uh, in the in the world of uh, animal activism. So it starts there, but it uh, it continues and recently. Um, uh, a person on the, on the island uh, ends up trapping a couple of wolves legally, legally, um, and then posts those on social media, mm-hmm. and the fallout begins, uh, and that starts the the whole amount of uh, uh, brings all of that attention back. And unfortunately, a, a soundbite that whether it was taken out of context or it was reported uh, missing part of the context, I don't know. But I mean, uh, the nobody can. I know where you're going with that. Yeah. Nobody on the other side can produce a screenshot saying it did happen. Yeah, but uh, alleged that it was said the goal ultimately was to kill the whole pack. Now, I mean, if the if 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 we look at that from a from what happens when you manage wolves, yeah, there's usually a significant effort to mm-hmm. reduce a population to a certain level in order to have a net effect on the pop uh, on that population. Absolutely, right. But the the biggest uh, the, the biggest issue with this ends up being what happens off the Instagram account, and rightly or wrongly, and you're gonna. I mean, I, I get it. There's a whole bunch of you listening that said I don't have a problem with what was done, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, the act of taking the wolf was uh, for me is not the fundamental issue here. Um, the issue is what happens afterwards, because the exchanges back and forth between that person and the anti-hunting community. The problem is is that 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 picture. Obvi- gets gets taken and gets used and whatever the soundbite is or isn't that's what without context without a story there's no video to go with it it's a person in a dead wolf and and a soundbite that that for them is gold and it makes its way around not just the country it makes its way around the planet yep you know, so. And the world of environmental activism is just, you know, they are licking their lips because, okay, this is perfect. And a shitstorm ensues, both for the, the, the unfortunate hunter that I, that I would, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. It wasn't the intention to, to, to be disrespectful, you know, probably thinking, hey, I've got all these followers, but there's a consequence on that, you know. There's a consequence. There's a responsibility that we all have, and we got to think about that. Um, because this is the stuff that happens when you can't contain when you can't contain it, when you can't control it, uh, it gets away from you and it turns into something else. Even if that wasn't what you intended, even if that's not what you said, if you if you don't self edit just a tiny bit and think about what's the worst thing that comes out of this post, right? Like where does this go if this gets out of control, right? Um, and the worst thing happened. 
you know, we we saw it in uh, 2016 when uh, that video of the legal grizzly kill and ended up on the internet where it was shot half a dozen times and it was on a snowy background and the blood was everywhere and it we we knew it watching it we're like oh shit here we go legal kill it was investigated but uh, there was anti organizations offering people money for the name of the people that 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 took part in that so and what ultimately happened the same thing that's going on right now done legally uh, and now we're under a microscope. We lost the grizzly hunt. Is that what's going to happen here? Well, we saw uh, the reporter call uh, John Horgan live on the air. And we actually have that clip, I think, don't we, Matt? So yeah, let, let's absolutely. take a look to what the Premier of British Columbia, Mr. Horgan, said to a reporter. And uh, I would suggest that this question did not just come out randomly. <laughs> yeah. So this is right in the wake of that. Let's have a listen. that a constituent of mine would undertake such activity this is not this is not familiar to me uh, justine i've heard that hearing this for the first time i can't comment on the legality of it i'm not familiar with uh, uh, what permits uh, are required what permits this individual may have i can tell you that uh, it would certainly be counter to uh, the sentiments in the community uh, when one lone wolf uh, uh, was uh, relocated uh, to the western part of my constituency and then shot by a hunter, uh, the groundswell of uh, frustration and anger at that single uh, wolf kill uh, was significant. I know that we as a province use the Wildlife Act to manage and protect uh, caribou, for example, in the, that are endangered species. We're required to protect them. And uh, I get mail of constantly... Uh, prior to being premier, uh, I mail about how people are passionate about wolves in, here in British Columbia. And, and so I would be surprised that there would be a lot of appetite, certainly in my community and indeed across the province, for the type of behavior that you've suggested to me. But I, I'm unfamiliar with it. Uh, I'll commit to you to take a look at it and perhaps Jen can get back to you before your deadline. Do you have a follow-up, Justine? There actually is very little... Um data on wolf populations. I'm just wondering if generally you think it would be a good idea for BC to have uh, more detailed information before we allow, I mean, this is, as I understand, a, a legal hunt because there aren't, there's no license required to, to hunt wolves uh, specifically. Um, I'm sure that's you know, correct. So I'm not sure that's correct. Uh, and uh, again, the wolf populations on Vancouver Island are very small. Uh, there's been a uh, res uh, a recurrence of uh, wolf populations in the Long Beach area. I know we hear uh, tourists talking about that, but uh, again, I, I'm not certain about the details. I'm sorry to cut your question off in full stream. I thought you might want to try another one because I can't answer more than I've already answered on that one. We'll follow up. Thank you. Okay. All right. This question I is from Richard. Yeah, thanks for that. There's a couple of things. Now I, I'm I, pissed I, off again. Yeah, yeah. But I, I also <laughs> think that they, that was more about, that wasn't as much asking a question as making a point. Absolutely. Just it was it, a it, line it, from Stephen Ronella. So. It, it, it was a COVID conversation, and she comes right in to make her point. Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of things to that, though, because in the wake of that, 
Um, and, and this is kind of, I mean, the setup is, now, I, I, I know you can listen to this and think, okay, but, you know, one of the problems is we have to act as a community and we, we got to support each other. And I agree with that. Um, but there are things that we need to start to do and that we need to encourage each other to do because there's fallout that happens when we don't think our way through this. And I'm guilty of the same things that this person did, right? There are pictures of animals that I've posted, right? There's comments that I've made over the last, you know, 10 years of my life and particularly since I've, even since I've been here. Me when I got to Prince George and me now is a, is a significantly different person. My own hunting behavior and even the way I share and interact is different. Absolutely. Um, and, and, that, and that didn't come easily, right? And there, there has been some, you know, so for Steve and I both and Steve and I have kind of done this journey together. Um, you know, we've both shifted gears a lot on some things that we, you know, if you talk, if you talk to us in 2015 or 16 and talk to us now, you should be able to notice that there's a shift and lots of people that I know, um, from when I first moved here to now, I'm surprised that, um, we all have made a shift now that, 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 and, and I know what the, the, the struggle for the hunting community is. There's a line in the sand and it keeps moving and we're the ones that have to keep stepping backwards, Right. We're always giving to concede ground, concede ground, concede ground. Well, I'm telling you that here's the difference um, is that the thing that we do ends with the death of something. And until we can figure a way to, to contextualize that so that people can wrap their arms around it, it's going to be super, super tough to push forward. It is just, we, we need to accept that's the fundamental difference between the story they're selling and the story we're selling. Something dies in our version of it and we can make it, we can ennobilize it. We can, we can make it spiritual. We can make it about food. We can do all of these things, right? That make it better. But at the core of it is something's dead, right? Now, um, I'm going to just, uh, before we get too far into that, I'm going to just make a, this comment that for, you know, um, Katrine Conroy. On the heels of that, that she's the the minister of Flinro, the one that pulls the the, the big levers. The big levers. So now we have a a, a regulation change coming. Oh, guaranteed. It, it's and uh, she's already alluded to it. Right. It's a guaranteed. It's in, yep. Guaranteed. Already alluded to it. Already, uh, you know, sent some some heads up to some different organizations that they're going to be looking probably for sure at the very least with bag limits, and we're going to get get to that in a little bit because this has been a discussion for Steve and I for a while. Um, so you look at some regulations, some bag limits, um, and it'll probably largely pivot around trapping, but that's how it starts, right? And and what in its final version, who knows where it ends up? The problem what, that happens when you have moments of, of these, these, these moments, kill a wolf legally, right? Post the picture and then, you know, trap a wolf in this case and post the picture and then the the things that you know people challenge get challenged and we get pissed off and then we say some stuff and then we hold up the dead animal or that we you know some people go and they'll spam people with more dead animals to prove their <laughs> point the problem is is that we yep. lose agency we need agency in order to win the hearts and minds and when we give them over the more the, the more pissed off we get and the more reckless we get with that information they grab it and they run with that stuff. And it's way easier to convince the rest of the world that doesn't do it and doesn't understand it. It's, it's way, it's super easy to take that picture and just say, draw your own conclusion. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a person smiling and they're holding the dead wolf. Draw your own conclusion in 10 right. seconds or less. Now, that could have been at the end of 10 days. It could have been the only wolf they ever shot in their entire life. They'll never shoot one again. I don't know the story. But if I just hold that picture up to somebody and say, hey, listen, this is, what the, this is what the hunting community is doing, 
right? That one picture becomes emblematic of every activity that we commit. And all they see when they see that is it is it becomes like it's rapid fire. It just goes around the planet. We, it's we, all optics. We've yeah. we've seen it with uh, uh, Brit Brit Longoria with the, the giraffe, yeah. completely legal kill, uh, herd bull, and it went around the planet. She's had death threats. Uh, uh, the dentist with Cecil. Cecil, yeah. same thing, same thing, sure. right? It's just that perceived. They, 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 nobody looks that that sits on the outside and goes, okay, well. They, they paid a lot of money for that African hunt and it went into the economy there and paid wages for three years for people and every single scrap of that animal was used. That animal had bred. It was on its way out. They just go, oh my God, you murderer. It's the job lynch mob. A- absolutely. And that's the same thing that's happening here. Like uh, that wolf, as you were talking about, could have been uh, killing somebody's livelihood, right? It could have been a coming into the yard. Like there's a video going around that I'd love some of these people to see. Of that, uh, I think I think it's a little. Uh, uh, Is it that, 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 that dog, dog in, in Russia? Or that Poland? dog, that dog in the, Russia. That there. the wolf grabs. Yeah, and then it basically sh- shakes it to death. Shakes right? it to death and pops it off the leash and runs out with its friends. Right, that's what wolves do. Are they beautiful? Absolutely. Do we want them all dead as hunters? Hell no. Do we know they need to be managed by a science and not emotion? Absolutely. But on the other side of that, the emotion that we bring to the same table more often than not. I mean, and we, and I mean, I. It, Admitting the pages that we that we have, um, you know, there's a lot of I mean, we have thousands of members spread over, you know, six or seven mm-hmm. pages that we admin. And to this day, there are still there's about half of the people that when they comment, you know, are pretty respectful about what they say, you know. Uh, and then you still have people that just want to continue this whack them and stack them mentality and oh. kill them all. And um, you know, no. I'll do what I want. I, I get that you're going to do what you want. Nobody's saying that you can't hunt. But that like, screenshot yeah. is what gets out there. Look <laughs> at what this hunter said. He wants them all dead. The only good wolf is a dead wolf, and, and that's crap. We have to we have to find a better way to defend ourselves, right? Than than the I'll do what I want when I want to. Right. And here's the thing that I think that we, we constantly as a community, and, and this is the, the, this is the, this is misinformation and the misuse of a phrase. We don't have it. Okay. We don't have a constitutional right to hunt. The only people that enjoy that legally and historically are indigenous people in Canada. That's right. Okay. There is nothing within the framework of, of our charter and rights and freedoms that says, yeah, you'll be able to hunt. Well, right. what people are clinging on to now is there's something in BC provincial law that says you have a right to hunt under law. So they, they're saying, assuming that that means a right to hunt. Well, under law means you require a license. license. You require it, a course. And we don't have a right to drive. We you, don't. You, you, same ha, thing. You, you have the capacity to pass an exam and hold a license. And as long as your license is a good standing, you could drive a car as long as you follow the rules. And in BC, your right to hunt isn't. It is the privilege to hunt, and it is, and it, well, the way it's supported is through the purchase of a license, right? If, if we had a right to hunt, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, right? We wouldn't be going, uh-oh, they're going to yank it from us. Yeah. It's... And you'll find in, in, in the United States, you know, across the lower 48, Alaska, probably not so much in Hawaii, there are states that they have constitutionally protected hunting rights. Yes. Um, but we don't have that. No, we, God, no. But we, te- we, we, te- we tend to visit that. Um, but is it a tradition that we've had in Canada, you know, for generations? Absolutely. Yeah. And do we need to fight to keep it? I, I 100%, we, I, I think we need to. We have to be rigid in our principle and flexible in our approach. And the, and the thing that always comes into these wildlife discussions, right? And this is, this is the part that I have struggled with. And I, and, I, and I mean it sincerely. I've struggled with it for the last few years. 
I get once upon a time we had X amount of moose and X amount of deer and X amount of this and X amount of that. I get how it was. Yeah. Right? The land doesn't look like that anymore. So we're not having that anymore. And I get that we used to be able to do this and you get, you know, there was a time you didn't hunt on Sundays either. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so in the U.S., they're still suffering from through blue laws, and we don't have to deal with that right now. You know, for the most part in Canada, you can hunt on Sundays. That didn't used to happen, right? Um, we have, but 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 what has changed is that there's there's less land, and the 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 more we scrape off the good old Mother Earth, the less space there is for wild critters to roam, and it's going to continue to be the less opportunity we have. Can we do better managing it? Yeah, that's a separate discussion we're going to get to in a bit. But the problem is, is we keep looking back how it used to be, right? Well, if you go far enough back, if we go to the turn of the century, there was nothing, right? We were just on this free-for-all. Oh, it's going to last forever, market hunting, to mm-hmm. the point where somebody actually wrote, you know, there's a point for, I think, Roosevelt, where, Roosevelt. where he was never in sight of a live buffalo and never out of sight of a dead one. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine penning that passage, right? We came from the brink of that, and yes, we've recovered game populations to a certain level, but th- we've already been through that. We saw the movie in the rerun. We did this once before. It's not market hunting. Now it's sport hunting. And, and so we, we've, w- here we are on the other side of it. The land base is constricting, and our opportunity is going to constrict. The other thing it's constricting is society's appetite for it, and that's the part that no one's okay with, right? And, and that's the part that's been happening as we've gone along and we haven't noticed that they're leaving less space for us, right? And what we have never, we, you know, we've always kind of gone along in a little capsule because I've been in that capsule. It's like, yeah, we're always going to be able to hunt. We're always going to be able to fish. We're always going to be able to hunt. We're always going to be able to fish. And the first signs that that doesn't happen for us, the, the, the bellwether for us isn't social license. The bellwether for us is there's less animals. Mm-hmm. Where'd all the Chinook go, Right. You know, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got a, we got a, we got a wildlife problem. And then all of a sudden we lift our head up and we go, oh, kind of like once upon a time at the turn of the century, a bunch of market hunters like, like, yeah, I'm looking for the buffalo. Have you guys seen any buffalo? Like, that's how I get paid. Where's the buffalo? Dude, you shot them all. Exactly. Like, well, when did that happen? Ni- 1930s. The turkey turkeys were uh, there was, there's 30,000 of them across North America. Yeah, and and, and and what brought them back to now 7.4 million? But somebody had to get their head up out of the ex- sand. Ex- exactly. And exactly. so, but what the, the, for us, the only thing that we focused on is the lock of wildlife, but parallel to that whole discussion, this anti-hunting movement has had a long string of continuous narrative where they take things from inside our community and they turn it outside, right? Without our knowledge, right? Without our permission, without our context, they're not storytelling for us. They're not representing us on our behalf. What would we do to the anti-hunting world that could turn the lens to the inside of them and, and make them look like villains. Be honest. What are you going to, how are you going to sell it? Well, exactly. But the only thing that we've got is some of them throw death threats. Yeah. That's, and, a, that's and about it. That's about it. Like, what, do you, what are you going to sell to the rest of the world? Hey, the anti-hunting people, they, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're vegans. Okay. So if you they, don't like, if you don't like vegans and they vegetarians. Were, they like, called me name, they called me names on Facebook. But that's the tough part that we have to recognize. So yep. for us, it's always been, okay, well, we don't, you know, and, and, it, and I'm not saying that we're not doing the right things right now. We're focused on conservation. Here we are, we're having a, you know, we're, we're in a space right now. We have a podcast and these have become prolific right now. We're hunting communities are starting to say, hey, listen, we got to start paying attention. We're starting to have self-talk that we're doing out at, at volume. We're doing it amongst our peers. We're doing it through through things like this podcast where we're starting to examine okay what do we need to do to 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 change what's happening 
But a lot of those discussions are focused around the things that we hunt, right? That that's that's based that's predicated upon the, your capacity to be able to hunt. So, uh, Chris Daremont uh, produces a, a paper with a bunch of other folks, uh, some of his uh, his band of brothers from Raincoast Alliance and some other uh, academics. And the whole point of it is, is he takes um, a, a paper that is the, the science they're applying is the SLO or, or the social license to operate, which comes yep. out of resource extraction. So resources or, or, or resource industries that want to go into wild spaces and take off trees or mining or whatever. In order for them to do that, they need to get on the ground uh, buy-in from local communities, mm-hmm. right? They have to get permission. You got to get everybody on side with what are you going to do? What's the long-term uh, program for this? You know, what are you taking out? What are you putting back? And, and there's all of those things that operate. But the only way that they operate is that they get a certain amount of social license, right? It's not, and, and it, it isn't, I mean, in, in the case of industry, it's usually in writing. With hunting, it's not in writing, right? The only thing that stays in writing is the legislation that governs us, right? That's the only thing. And the prescription for that, the thing that defines that is the, is the, is the current social order and how many people are going to be speaking to Victoria about what they like or they don't like about what we do as a recreation. And let me just do the math for you. You got 110, maybe 115,000 hunters in British Columbia in a population of four and a half million people. How much political clout do you think you have? So you can throw a temper tantrum. You can shut this podcast off right now and say, Don, go, you know, you and Steve and Matt, go, you go F yourself. I get it. I get it. But I'm telling you right now, there's 110,000 of us. And let's do what I love to do in the car dealership when we're talking about opportunities. Let's, let's cut it in half. Because let's just focus on half. Let's say half of the 110,000 don't give a shit. They're going to do what they're going to do. They're not going to get on side. They're not going to support the organizations. They're not gonna, let's just, I'm not saying that's true, but let's just say let's cut half of them out. You know what I'd like? 55,000 people to get off their freaking ass and get themselves together. Forget about the other 55,000. Let's just speak for the one tight unit of people. Hopefully, some of you listening to this podcast, get on the same page, self-edit a little bit. Think about what you're going to post, right? Don't get mad. Get educated. Then do something about it. Don't just spew. I've spent countless hours. You know, I, I, I've been speaking out of the side of my mouth and out of my ass for forever with half bits of information. I'm digging into this stuff so I can learn more. And I can tell you, I, you know, when we started this podcast not quite a year ago, I did a lot of reading and I'm still reading and I'm still learning and expanding what I know and, exp- and, and changing the way that I think. If you asked me to do this a year ago, I'm probably not thinking, I'm probably not ready to have the conversation I'm having with all you folks right now. But I'm telling you right now, this, this paper that Daramont writes is about this exact thing, social license. It's given to us by the, 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 the greater majority. Social license to hunt isn't hunters saying it's okay to other hunters to go hunt. Okay. We, we're going to support the process for sure, but that's preaching to the converted. Mm-hmm. We yeah. get it, right? It's the people that don't hunt. That's the people you got to concern yourself with. So, so in the, right now, we need, we need at least half of the hunting community to step up. Step up and start doing things, right? Step up and start paying attention. Start reading. Start supporting, right? And, and I don't mean a like button on Facebook, right? I'm talking about MLAs, MPs, writing, buying books, listening to podcasts, getting informed, right? Trying to bring new people into the fold. There's some serious heavy lifting that needs to happen. And I'm telling you, that by itself will not be enough. 
it's it's tough to 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 want to open the door in, from your world to other people. It 100% is, but it's something that has to happen. Like you said earlier, if you're holding up a photo to somebody and say, draw your own conclusions and someone's gripping and grinning, that doesn't provide the entire context. No. You have to let other people in. You have to let them know what hunting means to you. You have to let them know what being in the, the outdoors means to you. You have to let them know, you know, what bringing home a harvest means to you. We talk about, you know, it ends in killing an animal and it, it's probably the most ethical way to source your meat. I mean, you take a look at the industrial farming complex. Yeah. Uh, and there's some horrible shit that happens there. Absolutely. And I mean, and when you look at large-scale agriculture, is there a consequence on, on, on the ground? Is there a consequence on life? Absolutely. For sure. Right? But they've done a really, really, really good job of keeping that off the radar. But those are conversations that we need to a, get educated about. That's the conversations. Those, those are the spaces where we need to be having those, uh, that kind of dialogue. We got to shift the focus onto things like that. Right. Not just not just start screaming at the top of our lungs that I'm going to shoot whatever I want, whenever I'm going to want to shoot it. There are better stories being told. And there's you know, the other thing in this is I don't give a shit if Stephen Ranella or Jim Shockey or any. It's not on them to lead us through this thing. Right. This is a bootstrap moment for us. Like pick up your own freaking pants. Okay. Get tie your belt, get your gear on and get out there, get educated and get in this thing. Quit waiting for somebody famous and somebody else, right, to do the work that you should be doing. Does it suck to write a letter? Absolutely. Does it? Can you do an email? For sure. There are people, I've got to give some credit, though. There are some names that are showing up that are sharing things like the Act Now thing we're going to talk about towards the end of the podcast, yeah. that are sharing things, that are sharing petitions. They're, vo- they're people whose names I've never seen. I spent the last six or seven weeks kind of going real light. There was a lot of people like, why are you saying anything? Why aren't you speaking up? What are you doing? Why are you off? And I'm offline because you know what? I spent lots of time, you know, yakking. I like to yak. I like the sound of my own voice. I I wanted to see and hear who else would stand up and speak up. I've been waiting for other people. Get in this conversation. Right, and it's just, it's the same ones over and over, and that's the that's the sad part, right? Until a few weeks ago, well, two weeks ago, right? It's been the same people over and over. So this is the good part of what happened. There is some good spin. Okay, mm-hmm. it's shitty that it has to come to this, but the good spin on those pictures getting posted, right, on Instagram, and the shitstorm that comes out of it. The best part is a whole bunch of people for the first time. We weren't just talking about. I mean. Was there, is there a reason to manage wolves? Abs- absolutely. But it's the first time that people got rattled in a long time. When you look at um, the, the, let's just talk about the grizzly bear hunt for a second. When that happened, okay, so Horrigan gets in, he's trying to make, he's got, he's like, okay, I get in, I've got the green party, I got to appease these guys somehow, right? So he gets in, he's like, okay, I brokered a piece, I got a tenuous deal with these folks, right? There's not enough of us to go around, we need them to swing some stuff. He's looking for an environmental carrot that shuts them up, right? It's, it, it comes down to simple political calculus, right? And they, you know what? It, it, truth be told, what they wanted, no more Site C. That's right. They're like, get rid of Site C, big environmental consequence, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all of the stuff that goes with it. Like, forget the jobs. It's just, it's killing. It's bad. I mean, it's a, it was a big, that was an ba- absolute, this thing's got to go platform for them. And he's like, I can't do that. And he kind of looked at his caucus and said, what else do we got? And they're like, I don't know. Um, 
like, what else? What are you thinking? Well, forests? And he's like, are you not touching forests? Like, are you, you crazy? I've already got a revolt in the Northwest CSIT. We're not adding forests to that. I'm not getting the oil growth in the forestry business. We need the money. So that he's like, give me something that I can afford to not give a shit about, right? And I'm not saying that Horgan doesn't, doesn't care about grizzly bears, but he needed something disposable that would sell the, the, the Green Party on, hey, listen, Here's something. How about grizzly bears? That's a lightning rod event. And he probably went, he said, like, well, how many? He said, don't make it, like, are they hunt lots? Because if you, if they had said, well, how about moose? You would have, well, how many people hunt moose? He exactly. said, all of them? Exactly. They went, okay, well, moose can't work. That's too many. We're too much money there. How many, they're killing, what, 300 grizzly bears? How many are there? And they said 15,000. He says, that doesn't seem like a lot, right? And do you think that'll work? And they're like, it's a big deal for some of them. And he offers that thing up. There it is. There's a sacrificial lamb. Grizzly bears, boom, done, gone. Goes through this farce, this complete farce of a public consultation Steve and I are talking about, where he's got, they bring the grizzly, they got Katrine Conroy, who else? I believe Lana Popham was there as Minister of Ag. Minister of Ag, and then some people from the Grizzly Bear Foundation, this independent third party, whose whole raison d'etre or whatever it is, <laughs> their whole reason for life is to save grizzly bears. There's an objective uh, panel Hey, t- tell us why you think the grizzly bear hunt should be there, Don, right? Oh, okay. Okay, those are all good reasons. Yeah, totally not listen to that asshole, right? Next, go to Quinnell. We were in Quinnell we for that Quinnell, thing. Yeah. They made their way around the provinces like, okay, everywhere where we heard that they want to keep the grizzly bear hunt, yeah, let's not talk about that. How about a poll? And they get wild sights or in the wild insights or in, something. Insights West. Insight, insights West comes up with this poll. They ask a simple question. 4,000 people respond, a bunch of them not even from the province of British Columbia. And for them, they're like, okay, that, that sounds good. They, the initial poll probably was 800 people. The second poll, they did another poll with 4,000. Yeah. Is that correct? 4,000 total. 4,000 people total carried the way to the province. Statistically significant, boom, and there we go. That's it. We're done. That's how, that's how they get that 75% were against it because only, well, less than 1,000 people showed up in, in favor of it. Yep. Right. It's, it's, they might as well have worded it. Do you want to shoot grizzly bears in the face? Right. Yeah. It was just, <laughs> it was so led in a direction where the, we, we couldn't have won. And we I, couldn't have won. And I have no idea how objective the, 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 the polling base was. I don't know. But I can tell you this with or without the poll, they either would have polled the right people to get the right response, but there's no way that wasn't coming. Oh, God, no. The reason that story is important is we're all pissed off that it happened. But you want to know why? Because we didn't do anything. We could have stood up, right? We, 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 we absolutely we, could have stood and, up. And that's, that's the frustrating part for people like yourself and I, who, who pride ourselves on digging a little bit deeper than the average person in, into these causes and, and for what drives us in the backcountry, right? It, if, if, we, if that, uh, you and I had a great conversation yesterday. If that question was, uh, was written in such a way of, do you have a problem with grizzly bears, grizzly bears being hunted and managed by science? I'd, I'd get 75% would be in favor of it, but the way it was, are you in favor of grizzly bear trophy hunting, right? They, they led that question in such a direction that we were not going to win. And that's the frustrating part. So hopefully people, as you say, get off their goddamn asses to push back against this. Cause if you think we're not going to lose another one, we, I don't know what the hell to say. 
I well, really don't. But, but we're, we're right in the same place with wolves right now. Absolutely that, we wolves, are. Wolves, mountain lions, black bears. I'm telling you right now, we're in the exact same place we were at the grizzly bear hunt. Yep. Because if you heard, if you heard what Hor- how he was sounding, like, oh my God, they're killing wolves? I can't, I can't believe that. I can't believe a constituent my of constituent. my... My constituents would never do that. Well, he, he's the premier of the province, so isn't that... Our, we're all his constituents, so none yeah. of us would ever do That's that. That's right. But even... And if you asked a question, should wolves be managed if they have a detrimental effect on an ungulate population or a livestock population, if you ask the question that way to the same people, I don't know if you get 70%, but would at least 50 or 60% of people go, if it was detrimental... Yeah, for sure. I can see that. You, you can see that on some of these posts. Like uh, you, you cruise around some of these anti-hunting sites and you'll see, we don't, you'll, you'll see these people that definitely are against the wolf hunt, but they will say, well, if that wolf was causing predation problems, I can understand it. So it's just a matter of how it is spun. And that's what we need to get our head around. And we have to find a better way to communicate that stuff. And too often we're concerned with how we see ourselves. You know, we're okay with how we see ourselves. We're okay with the things that we do. We can all sit. I mean, it's it's back to what I said earlier, preaching to the converted. You know, why do you, like, I don't have to ask another person why they're out killing a wolf or a coyote, right? I, I understand why they're doing it, right? Yep, absolutely. Now, are there some of those people that, now here's a tough one. Some of those people, though, are going to go out and they're going to say, I'm going to kill a coyote or I'm going to kill a wolf and it's fun to do it. Okay. M- maybe it is, Right. Maybe it is, and maybe it is for you, and maybe that, that, that twirls your beanie. But I can tell you right now, if that's what you're going to lead with on your social media page, and if that's the hill where you want to plant your flag and you want to die on that, I can tell you that if you and you're going to lose every you're going to lose every single time because that is a tough one to sell outside of here in a closed room with your friends, sure. But if you want that to be the face of you, you know, or the hunting world to the outside world that doesn't understand what's going on or why you're doing it, like if you just say, "Well, I like to shoot shit." you know, that shoot cans, right? But when totally. you extend that, and people get super pissed off when they get challenged on that. And oh, that yeah. was one of the things that I've, I've had a really tough time with yeah. in the last couple of three years. I get why we do it, right? I'm not admonishing people for managing predators, right? It needs to, it needs to happen. I don't have a, when, when I shoot a lynx, I'm not losing sleep over it, right? Um, and, it, and it's not that I'm, um, I, I don't have an emotional component or, or any of those. I mean, I understand what it is. I'm going to eat the animal. I'm going to enjoy the fur, all of those things. That's a good rationalization for myself, right? It's in a closed group, right? I'm not going to try to make, and, and oh, there are some, there's some photos and the other stuff. Try to be respectful to the animal, and we try to show that we've eaten it and we're using it. You know, I'm trying to extend the story. But the risk in doing that, even that single picture, the risk I have to accept is, if I can't figure out how to contextualize that, you know, and if I don't add to the story, then I've got a bigger problem. If I just go like, I just, you know, I shot, I shot a lynx today, wahoo, and I'm starting to high five everybody. And I don't think about how that sounds, right? I got to think about how it sounds. How does this, how does this affect the, 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 the broader picture, the thing outside of the room yeah, right, that I can't control? You're, you're going to enlighten and educate some people that don't know that grab onto it, but I, we can go back to the grizzly hunt. Before it was banned, I was approached by a, a couple of news outlets, uh, Vancouver Sun, CBC, and they said, hey, we know you're a hunter. We know you've taken a grizzly bear. Do you mind doing an interview? And I went, absolutely no problem. The interviews were done well. They, they told the story. It was a true uh, story of the hunt. And I, I got death threats. I haven't had one in about six months, so I'm expecting one any day. Oh, I read, read what you did and you're a murderer and your, your wife and your kids deserve to die. And if we ever see you, we're going to string you up. I'm like, what the hell? It's some just, as you know, won't get it. But as you say, we have to really watch it, it, the social license. We 
we, we know what we do. We know in order for us to live or anybody on the planet to live, something has to die. And we just take out the middleman, right? Whether or not you're a, a meat eater, or an omnivore, a pescatarian, a vegan, something is dying so you can continue to live, right? It's just how that picture is painted. And that's what you need to be so cautious of. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I mean, I, I, so when you look at what happened, um, there's a perfect example. The social license for the grizzly bear hunt wasn't in our control. Oh, God, no. But some of the things that they used against us in that was they, there was a, a long debate before I got here about whether we should take all the edible portions out for grizzly bears and whether we should be taking the meat home. And we, and we got on that as a province. We got on that way late, right? By the time you start making it a legal requirement for us to pack out the meat and take all the edible portions on a grizzly bear, you know, you're, you're so far, you are so far past the point where that's going to, I guess, productively help you recover your position and, and it was used against us because you had a whole body of work before that that had, you know, dead carcasses, right? Now, is all grizzly bear meat edible? Nope. Nope, it isn't. But the optics were absolutely imperative to have. And we didn't have them. So, the, I mean, there was all of those things that, that led to our demise. And we have to remember, it's not just, you know, we think our wildlife crisis is just around wildlife. Our crisis right now isn't just about that. It's a big picture. It, it's, a, it's a big picture thing. And, and society is taking a look at what it is that we do. And they, they, there's a reckoning going on. And, and the, the advantage of, they've weaponized. I mean, the anti, anti-hunting movement has weaponized social media to the point for us I mean, we got to be. We have to be super cautious about how we use it. But again, it comes back to the story that we spin, the story that we sell. And there's a reason that some people are getting, you know, more traction than others. And there, but I always find it funny that that some people in the hunting community, well, why are they so damn good at it? Because they're at it all the time. And you know, the thing that's interesting about anti-hunting, the one thing that they're not is divided. Now, publicly, you can read, if you go to PETA's website, you'll actually find that PETA says, hey, don't support the Audubon Society, don't yep. support the Sierra Club, um, don't publicly support them, right? Um, because as much as they do all of this stuff and, and they do the things that we want, they don't, they don't support the hunting world, but they don't condemn them either. Now, that's something that PETA says. So if you're a hardcore PETA member, right, you might not be a big Sierra Club member, but, we, but they all are, when it comes to no hunting, they are 100%, they're 100% unified on right. one thing, and hunting. So Wayne uh, Passell, I think, is the former, he's no longer, in 2018, he used to be the president of the uh, Humane Society of the United States. Okay. And he had a couple of issues uh, in uh, with uh, some sexual harassment, so he's not working for them anymore. Um, but anyway... Uh, I'm going to just read this. So, uh, so in 1990, Passell told supporters in full cry, we're going to use ballot box in the democratic process to stop all hunting in the United States. We will take it species by species until all hunting is stopped in California. Then we will take it state by state. Species by species. Sounds yep. familiar. Hey? Sounds familiar. And if, if, if anybody thinks that is the single largest anti-hunting lobby in the entire planet, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Is the Humane Society of the United States. They get millions, and it's actually almost hundreds of millions of dollars of support every year. People funnel into that. But that strategy is employed by every single anti-hunting organization on the planet. What are they unified on? Species by species? State by state? State. They're going to have some slightly different mechanisms, but the end game is the same. The story that they're going to tell, here's a bunch of hunters killing shit, right? Here's some dead stuff. Here's some dead stuff. Here's some dead stuff. Here's some dead stuff. These are the guys that did it. Yeah. We, we could Draw have, your own conclusions. Dead yeah. stuff, dead stuff. Here's the folks that did it. Yeah, that's right. We, we could have 
200 pictures of us out there hunting and not taking a single damn shot, right? We could have uh, 150 pictures of us enjoying meals and bringing friends in and showing the camaraderie and we could put all these science-based management techniques in front of them, but all it's going to take is a guy with a bear's head on a pike and all of a sudden we're savages from Lord of the Flies. And I think, I think the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because lots of people get frustrated and get our backs up against the wall. We get a little prickly about it. But there's things that, that we have to look at. We have to look at them not objectively uh, to find out, you know, do they, do they serve a, a greater good for us or do they do us harm? And we have to look at them, you know, fundamentally and see them for what they are. There's lots of people that run trap lines and, uh, you know, hunt predators and they, they do it. And I know what they're doing. It's a management tool and I get all of that stuff, right? When we run things, though, like, you know, coyote hunting contests, right? Depending how you wrap that thing up, you know, coyote hunting contests, there was just, there's recently, and I, I get it, they're doing a great thing with, with young hunters and the Kootenays, it's a, it's a, and I'm not vilifying it, I, I like the program, I'm excited they're doing it. But the other thing you got to look at, though, is it's a, it's a contest around hunting and shooting something. And I, and I get, it, again, here's one of those things, that if you don't wrap that context right, make it about youth hunters and you you need to downplay the contest part and maximize the the teaching a tradition part that's the real thing that you gotta you gotta handle uh, carefully when you handle that but things in our own regulations that i never thought of when i first moved here when i first moved here in 2015 this is the arc i'm on i move in i see coyotes nbl no bag limit wolves <laughs> nbl no bag limit how many wolves you shot since you lived here six never, years n- never shot a wolf but in saskatchewan when I left in 2014 was the last season I hunted. That's the first time you could ever even hunt wolves, and you had to have a tag. And it was—I think it was like a hundred bucks or something. They did a pilot project in in, in one or two regions, and I got to go. My buddy Luke and I would go up to to try to hunt some wolves, and we'd seen some wolves, but never could hunt one. And they didn't make it cheap, and it was a pilot project, right? Had to buy a tag for it. So you could, I think I could get two. I had two tags. So anyway, we went and did that. But I come here. And in my brain, though, I'm like, no bag limit. Like, holy cow, this is, I mean, we had no bag limit on coyotes as well in Saskatchewan. But here I was like, no bag limit on wolves? They got to be everywhere, right? This is going to be great. It's like the wild, wild west. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I didn't, but what, what I never connected to, that was about me right? Me and opportunity and that what is it, that's what it represents. And, oh, I've got a reason to carry a gun and have bullets in it and drive around and hike around. I was always going to be a wolf around. It's a long season. Wow, this is great. I never once paused to think about if somebody grabbed that legislation and they were not a hunter, could they look at that NBL and go, what's NBL? No bag limit. And that's exactly... And then somebody holds up a picture of a single wolf right? One wolf. And we know, and I know, and I know from the guys that, that do it. I mean, you know, Steve and Mark have, have got wolves since I've been here. There's been a ton of effort mm-hmm. to not generate a ton of wolves, right? And our friend, Michael Snyder, he has to manage wolves on his, on, in, in his, uh, his, his uh, concession area for hunting. I mean, he's actively doing it. And it's, it's a, it's a every weekday kind of thing to not get a lot of wolves, like the gazillions of hours of effort, but they don't get that part of it. What they see is no bag limit, right? And then they see a picture of it. And to them, that is a force multiplier. And that's exactly what Katrine Conroy is going on, right? Yep. What? I didn't know there was no bag limit. That sounds terrible. Because look at the consequence on the population. Now you want a public accounting of all the wolves that are going to be you know, uh, taken. And I, I, I get maybe that's an okay mechanism. In the U.S., 
Um, under the Endangered Species Act, wolves have been uh, listed and then unlisted and then listed and then unlisted right now in Wisconsin. So I think that population bounced up somewhere around 800. And so they, they've got 800 to 1,000, right? Yeah. So they go on. They've got a, no, they've got a, uh, they've got a limit. And I think the amount of tags issued, there's 80-some for- 200. There's 200, but but 80 some of those are held by one First Nation. Yes, First Nation. And those yeah. and they and for them they don't hunt them. They actually get them because they're taken out of the pool. So those animals won't be hunted because that tribe um, they they believe there's a spiritual connection, and, yeah. and that's fine. But they basically within the first two weeks, I think they took 200 and some on. 216. Yeah. So they were way over the the limit. So then they had to regulate it. But the amount of pushback that came from that was like crazy because everybody's like, there's a reason to to we got to get those things relisted because you guys are out of control over there. You can't self-regulate yourself. That's right? right. That's one of the things that it's simple things like that, that to us, maybe on the surface, it doesn't mean anything, but to somebody on the outside looking in, maybe it does. And for, for me personally, if you said, Hey, you know, you can shoot a, a wolf or you can shoot three wolves and it's going to be $30 for the process. Then I'll think long and hard if I want to spend 30 bucks to have the tag so I can carry it with me. It's the same thing I say about lynx. Lynx mm-hmm. is worth more than eight bucks to me. Absolutely it is. You know, I, I, it might be the most expensive meat on the planet. If it was 50 bucks, I'd do it. Why? I, I really enjoy the hunt, right? I enjoy the hunt. It's worth it. I love the meat. It's absolutely worth it to me. Mm-hmm. I would pay more for the privilege, you know, and are, are coyotes worth more than that? Probably. Right, we you know I I think that we have to look at some of these things because other people are doesn't matter if we like it or we don't. That's right, and this is what they clutch onto. Uh, this is one of the sites out there that I found. It says that, that remember they've got uh, mean populations. They say the average is they they, they figure a count of wolves in BC is between fifty five hundred and fifteen thousand. So they're saying they, they're splitting the difference and saying the population of wolves is eighty five hundred, and we have one hundred and four thousand five hundred and fifty two hunters in BC in 2020. So the provincial bag limit is three wolves per hunter. So what do they say? Theoretically, hunters could legally exterminate the entire wolf population in BC. And they say, if one in every 10 hunters had killed one wolf last year, the entire population of wolves in BC would have been destroyed. Yeah. Theoretically, they're right. Yeah. However, we know... And, and, and like you, you've been here six years. You, you haven't taken a single wolf. No. Right? They're, they're there. We see the signs. They are, if you look at the amount of wolves that are harvested every year in BC, Vancouver Island, for one, uh, Region 1, has compulsory reporting. And I believe it was 2019, they had zero wolves reported. But it, does that mean they're not there? Or does that mean there's no hunter effort there? Right. Right, it's it's just how they're grabbing things and spinning it. And that's what you, we keep going back to. It. That's what you need to be conscious of when you post a picture. We get you proud, be proud, but really be careful on who can grab a hold of that and the context that goes with it. Yeah, we, I know. I know from the the administration part. I mean, people can rightly put that on us to make sure that we're admitting our pages, um, you know, rigorously uh, to to screen people in and out. And it's not always easy to do. Um, the other side of it, though, is we need to start taking a look at the, the places where our community intersects with other communities. We have to take a look at the face that we put on, on the things that we do to the world outside of us, right? Whether that is, you know, in the world of the firearm space or that's in the hunting space. And if, if we want to make a compelling case for ourselves, we need to be better at communicating what it is that we do. Now, here, here's, <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom because there's a lot of really good stuff that's coming into our space. 
Um, now, I, I, I know earlier I said it doesn't really matter what, you know, Steve Rennell or Jim Shockey or, or whatever, but there's, a, there's been a, a noticeable shift in the way that outdoor media presents the hunting experience. And thank God for guys like Steve Rennell that are unapologetic about the hunting and trapping and fishing traditions that he believes in. But, I mean, he's also talking about, you know, he's eating beavers and he's eating marmots and he's doing all of that stuff, right? He's, and he's showing that it is a consumptive process, right? He, you know, with Steve Rinelli, he's, you know, the, other than trying to a coyote one time, you don't see him out, you know, if he does do coyote hunting, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he does or he doesn't. And I'm not saying that that's a problem. I'm just saying that if he does, he's not presenting it to the outside world very often. Um, I, I think that the other thing about that, though, there's other initiatives. One campfire, we're, ta- we're trying to, you know, you're trying to tell a different story. Um, GOABC has done a great job with their Who Cares BC, you know, trying to get people to take a look, like take take a look past just, you know, pulling the trigger and, you know, ang- animals, you know, hanging up from, you know, a gambrel. You know, take a look past that and then see what's going on. Um, you know, so we, we've had those initiatives. There's been some good engagement pieces um, uh, with uh, some great guests, SCI and the interiors, but bringing some really good people on to talk about different things in the hunting space, different conversations than I think that they normally would have done when you consider how people uh, perceive uh, Safari Club International um, and the interior group here in BC is doing some really good work. BHA has really shifted um, to an experience in terms of the backcountry. They've got a strong environmental presence. You have... Now, maybe it's just virtue signaling, but you have companies like First Light, companies like Kuyu, companies like Sitka, um, you know, Scree that are making a concerted effort to put money into the 2% of conservation. Uh, They're putting money towards things like the National Wild Turkey Federation, uh, Theodore uh, Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, um, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, Wild Sheep Foundation. Uh, You know, they're they're putting money towards... um, they're putting money towards meaningful things. So we're getting really, really, really good traction um, from doing things that are telling a different story than the one that we normally serve up and say, hey, look at us, and here's what I shot this weekend. I think that that's some of the stuff that becomes, um, that th- those are valuable connection pieces that will show a different side of us, and we need to focus more on that, the conservation initiatives, the things where you engage the public. Um, you know, we have a hatchery program here in Prince George that's, from a social license standpoint, if we're going to go back to that, um, we get a lot of that in this local community because what we lead with is, hey, we're trying to we're trying to grow a distressed and and uh, and functionally extinct salmon population <laughs> in some yeah. in some ways, but that's our way into it, right? Now we need more engagement on the wildlife side from a club level, but around the province, the uh, mule deer, the the southern mule deer project is a great uh, undertaking. Um, there's uh, lots of stuff with. Uh, wild sheep society that they're doing work with uh, with sheep uh, with with sheep. There's caribou penning. There's lots of things that organizations and uh, that the the community at large, including the province of British Columbia, are, are doing to to put wildlife back in the landscape. So there are meaningful things, but the from the 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 society, the collective part of us, the hunting collective that we all are are a part of, we have to start thinking about the things that we do that have ripple effects in the world outside of us because mm-hmm. the the impacts that we leave on the water they go they go for a long way right that's right and they touch the shores of 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 other people doing other things in in other in in other ways of engaging the wild mm-hmm. world um, and those things don't always uh, they, th- those those ripples be, can become waves for them right and they don't see it the same way that we do and sometimes it's just because of the way that we've broadcast those things out right um, so i think that that becomes super important for us um, you know, one of the, 
the, the things I've really enjoyed um, uh, recently is listening to Clay Newcomb, um, you know, and his, his move into meat eater, uh, into the meat eater community. And, you know, I subscribe to Bear Hunting Magazine. There's a lot of great content in it. But, you know, Clay has talked lots about guard the gate, right? Um, I heard an interesting discussion um, on one of the, on the hunting collective with uh, Paul McCartney, um, who's mm-hmm. a, a PhD uh, uh, candidate out of Ontario, or maybe he has a PhD. Yeah, I think he's uh, Mar- Maritimes. Maritimes. So, um, but he was talking about uh, with uh, Ben O'Brien. They were talking a little bit about um, the 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 world of uh, the, the the hunting world and how uh, how it interacts with uh, the world at large, right? And they talked a little bit about you know how we do, how do we gain um, social license? Um, and I think it one of the things that he struggled with, he struggled with the whole guard the gate thing. And I think that there was an interesting distinction that Ben meant. And I think as a hunting community, we get, we get very protective about letting, you know, outside forces come in to disturb the thing that we Mm -hmm. have. Um, And I understand that. Um, But we can't, we can't guard the gate intellectually. We have to, the things that we believe, the things that we know are true, the things that we think make our community work and sustain us. We have to be willing to test those things against, social proof, right? Absolutely. Against the, the, the realities of the day, against the information that comes into our world. And we not we might not like it when we first hear it, right? But we have to take that stuff in and mm-hmm. we have to decide as a community, does some of this stuff make sense? The other thing that we got to accept, if you go back to the, the, the thing I was saying before, I get how it used to be, but how it used to be and how it is are two completely different things. And we fight way too long and way too often about how things were right? How they were is over. We, we can only live in how they are. I, I love when we advocate for science. You know, we've been selling that story for a lot this last year. But what if science starts to say that we got to do things differently and we got to hunt less? I mean, there are some states where if you get a moose tag, you're only going to get one moose tag in your life. Mm-hmm. There are places mm-hmm. where you're going to hunt a sheep. You can't just, you know, jump in a plane and fly someplace and go hunt sheep anytime you want, right? We have, we have, we have zones in the province where if you want, get a sheep tag. You can go hunt them. If you want, get a goat tag. You can go hunt them. I'm not saying you're going to get one, but the opportunity exists. But the reality could be coming that there are there may be a point in time on some species where we don't have that opportunity. Absolutely. And if that's what science says and that's what we're advocating for, then we have to be okay as a community accepting that. Completely totally. agree. You, I mean, you can even start to follow the logic here. So we take away the grizzly bear hunt for predation. And it slowly starts to leak into all of the other predators. Yep. And now we're not taking predators off the landscape. So there are, I mean, already, how many more grizzly bears do we have now than we didn't have before? Yep. And then how many wolves are we going to have? And all of a sudden, now the, uh, now the conversation goes around the ungulates. Well, if there's so many predators, then why are we hunting them? Yep. Yep. We're, we're only taking out more of them. And it's a slippery, I hate to use slippery slope, but it is. as soon as you start taking the predators out, it only naturally leads into, okay, so then why are we hunting X and X and Y and Z? Yeah, that, that's right. Well, go to, go to that, Maddie. Like three years ago, we took out the grizzly hunt and statistics show roughly 300 a year were killed. So here we are four years later, we got 1,200 grizzlies extra on the landscape at an average number. What do you think that's going to extrapolate to in 10 years? One of the, one of the things that's, that's come up, um, there's been lots of editorial and there's been lots of people admonishing um, wildlife managers. And then again, from our hunting community, remember, so here we are, we've got a couple things going on. We're, we're concerned about wildlife. I don't think we've been as concerned about how we project to the outside world. And then the second somebody comes in and says, Hey, listen, we're going to make it so you can't hunt something. 
right? Or we don't want you guys hunting these things. Then we come out of it and we want to, now we have to explain it to them why we, why we want to, right? We probably should have been doing a better job all the way along of doing the explanation. But now what we're more fearful of is losing the opportunity, right? So we, so we react that way. Well, don't take away the opportunity versus explain the opportunity. We've got to focus on how we explain it. But then the, the worst part is, is that somewhere in all of this mix, I don't know why, but that, then it's like, okay, well, we've got wolves and they're killing the ungulates. We got grizzly bears and they're killing the ungulates and uh, everything's going to hell in a handbasket and everybody's coming after us. And it's the wildlife managers. They don't know what they're doing. They're, <laughs> I mean, and they, they're bearing the brunt of all of it. And it's like, well, they've, they've got science, but it's not the right science. And uh, they're, they're too young or they're, they're past their prime and they're, 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 not, they're not current. They're not listening to... I like the one where they said they're paid off. Well, yeah, yeah, they're they're paid off, but there there's all of these things that we're 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 lumping or laying at the feet of wildlife managers. I get it, right? Somebody's in charge of that portfolio. I get it. Somebody's in charge of it, but the guys that are doing the science, the people that are that they're informing on policy, they're not making it. And at the end of the day, the only thing that they can do, they get choices. The choices that they make are the levers that they're given, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to do something because it's their job to do something. You might not like what it is, but when if the choice is, hey, listen, if you're a wildlife manager that really wanted to do something, we had, I mean, we had Dr. Shoroy on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that caribou thing, what do you, what's the solution? Habitat. Yep. I mean, every time it comes up, they're saying habitat. What are we going to do about habitat? Go to the government, say, hey, listen, we got we to gotta change what we're doing in forestry. Uh, the old growth has got to be off, off limits. Can't do it. Caribou won't function. It's creating this whole bad predator prey dynamic. Uh, it's a, impacting, you know, uh, it's impacting the caribou. It's impacting the, the moose. And we got to kill a bunch of wolves. We've got to find a better solution. The best solution, old growth timber, implant the roads, stop development. We're going to shut down the grizzly hunt. There you go. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I got a better idea. We'll shut down the grizzly hunt. Uh, next, exactly. Right. So the thing is, is that, and then you blame that on the wildlife manager. What's he supposed to do or she's supposed to do? Like, if you're Jen Salakis right now, right, like, what's she going to do? Like, there's only so many things that she can do, right? Until you're going to change some things fundamentally about what, if wildlife is, a, if it's a real priority, they're going to make it a priority, but it ain't. Well, no kidding. We're the only, we've said it before, we're the only ministry in British Columbia that has not seen a meaningful increase in 50 goddamn years. So the most important thing that can happen then, the only place that you get to make your choice is when your vote, and then and then, and and God bless all of us. Then we bitch about the the people that get in, right? Mm-hmm. So when when an election cycle shows up, make sure that you are not negotiating on the things that are important to you. And if hunting and wildlife is important to you, then you look for the party that's going to not just pay lip service to it. Because I'd tell you right now, whoever on the BC Liberal side. They need to put somebody up, and I'm not interested in somebody that's going to pay lip service to the idea of making me feel better about wildlife. I want somebody that says wildlife is going to be a priority in this province, that there's going to be wildlife for multiple generations, that you've got a plan, right? You don't want a plan? We'll find some people that will help give you a plan, but I want a meaningful plan that makes sure that wildlife is protected, and I want wildlife managers in a position to make meaningful decisions. And if we, I understand we need to balance that against commerce, but balance it not move it off to the side in lieu of commerce, right? Because right now it's like we wildlife, as long as it doesn't screw up our money, right? I get that. 
I get, I get why they're doing it. We need jobs, right? Well, time to get in the innovation business, baby, right? We, we need jobs that aren't just relying on trees and copper and gold and other things. We need other kinds of jobs for people to pivot to because all of us, those that hunt and those that don't, we all have, I would suggest when the one place we do agree, we all want wildlife, right? Absolutely. There's us and anti-hunters are, we're 98% the same. Yep. Until we get to that use of the wildlife at the end. Yep. Bang. We want to kill it. We want to use it. They don't want it to die. Yep. So we're so, so close. Put managers in a position where they can manage and make meaningful decisions mm-hmm. that have impact. Let's put accountability measures in. Let's put, like Michael Schneider's always said, let's put real objectives in there. Let's grow them to something. Let's have a plan that grows wildlife. And I want to say this because I think this is super important. There's a very important distinction of what that looks like in the province that's going on right now. There is a really good working example of what this looks like on in the province, and it is uh, courtesy of our friend Chad Day and the Tel Ten Central Government, and it is uh, it's playing out on the land base right now. So you you go back last year. Um, there's a couple of things that were of note. One, um, COVID hits. Uh, Chad puts up some barricades and stuff on Highway 37, trying to limit access into Telegraph Creek, Deese Lake, into into his territory. You got about 4,000 people in the Teltan Nation, about 2,000 of them live inside the, the territory, super remote. And he makes, to me, a very smart decision. Absolutely. And yeah. I understand that has, you know, other people that want to wrap it up in other things. And I say, if there's other things wrapped up in it, okay, whatever. But here's the other thing that he does at the same time. This guy's been saying to the province of Saskatchewan, uh, province of Saskatchewan, <laughs> you, you can't get the prairie, you gotta be. <laughs> but the province of British Columbia has been saying to Horgan at the time it was Donaldson, he's like, guys, seriously, what's your plan for wildlife in this province? Because, you know, we have a traditional um, inalienable right to hunt and for sustenance and for ceremony on the land. And that pivots largely around us having salmon in the rivers, moose in the swamp, sheep on the mountain, right? And he said, I'll tell you what we've got lots of. I've got lots of grizzly bears. I've got lots of black bears. I've got lots of wolves. And I don't have lots of the other thing, right? And you want all this resource development. You want mining and you want forestry and you want all this stuff going on in our territory. And I appreciate all of that. But we also have this other thing because it's not just us. There's other people that hunt up here as well. What are you going to do about it? And Chad, I mean, Chad's largely making decisions for what's going on in his territory. And I'm not, I'm not putting words in Chad's mouth. This is just me watching his behavior and the things that he's done. And what I'm, I'm assuming these are just educated guesses. So he has to look at where he's at. Okay, I got a remote community. I'm going to isolate it. And at the same time he's having that discussion, he's sending to the province, listen, you guys either get in the game of managing wildlife or I'm going to do this myself. Right? He's like, well, I got a predator problem. And it's a real one. And I've been telling you it's a real one for a while. Like, get in the game or I will take this thing over. Province is like, no, we'll get around to it. We'll get around to it. We'll get around to it. We've got a COVID. He's like, I got the COVID thing. I, I've locked the place down. Give me a little help on the medical side. But that doesn't change the fact that I got grizzly bears in my schoolyards. Like, I got to get something done. And they said no. So Chad's like, no problemo. I will just <laughs> do it myself. And that wildlife technical team has taken very, very aggressive action. Okay. They've got a, uh, there's a, there's a cash incentive for grizzly bears, black bears, and wolves for Tel 10 members. Um, They're going to take the the animals and use everything that they can from them, right? And they're going to manage predators because they're trying to get, they have a specific objective, how how many predators are trying to take off the the landscape. 
and he's got a recovery objective that he's looking right. they, to see they, for caribou, for moose, for... Yeah, they even had an independent bio come in to tell them what the landscape could handle and should handle, and they're working off of that. And they worked off of that. And so what they're doing is he, he's taken that, and he's got, we have a wildlife technical team, we yep. have a wildlife plan, the province doesn't have one, that's your problem, I've got one, we're managing wildlife, and now they're go, they've uh, made a pivot into the fishery side. So whether it's uh, Chinook or uh, black bears or grizzly bears or wolves... Um, the, the thing that I find really f- uh, refreshing about this perspective and this approach, and, it's, and it speaks to a couple things. Um, one, if we, if we look at it in the framework of social license, the Telten Central Government, the wildlife, the, the wildlife team with, you know, with, with Lance and Jarrett, uh, Brianna, uh, some of the people that are you know, uh, game guardians, um, and, and then obviously some of the, the biologists and other people that they've recruited to help them make uh, some of these decisions. But it, they're all acting on a combination of two things. A, first of all, I, I guess I should say this first, they're not looking over their shoulder to see what PETA thinks. Um, and if uh, the Echo Conservation Society or the Raincoast Alliance are not looking for their approval to take action, you know, they see, they see an imbalance um, on the land base. Um, they see an, an increase in the predator population. They see, you know, a consequence, whether it's in a fishery um, or in an ungulate population. And then they're, they're taking decisive action. And I, I think the, the, there's, some, there's a great freedom in that movement because they, they're not imperiled by, well, you know what, we, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and we don't want to, no, this needs to be done. It's not about hurt feelings. It's about making sure that we're doing the right things for fish and wildlife on the land. And I'm not looking backwards and I'm not seeking people's permission to do the thing that we know is fundamentally right. And the reason that, that that's important is it's a combination of, you know, they've recruited some science, you know, some scientific input to, to get to certain objectives and to say, well, how much, you know, what's sustainable in terms of a predator harvest? And the other thing that they've done is there, there, which has been a big criticism about some of the wildlife policy in this province and what they are, they're doing differently, uh, maybe not differently, but I, I think they're doing mo- more overtly, is they're, they're taking their own experience. They're taking on the ground knowledge, which is a common criticism of wildlife managers that we, you know, as hunters, we feel that they don't do that. And they're taking a look at what their own people are saying, hey, listen, there's too many grizzly bears, there's too many wolves, we're not seeing enough, you know, caribou, we're, we're seeing declines in moot. They're taking that on the ground knowledge and they're combining that with some scientific realities. And between those two, they're acting and it's decisive, and it's producing a result. And honestly, it's it, it, it's 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 great to see. And if you look, if you if you wanted to look, uh, if you wanted to look for an example of what I I think all of us would hope uh, we could deliver out of that the ministry that's in charge of managing the whole province, right? It would it would look like that. So kudos to Chad. Uh, you know, and uh, and and the, the Teltan Central Government and everybody involved with the Wildlife Technical Team, the Game Guardians, they're doing. Uh, I think they're doing terrific work. Uh, it's great leadership uh, in our space, and it's a it's a good example for us to draw from. I was telling Steve, can you imagine if the if the cattle industry said, "Hey, you know what we should do? Like, people all like their beef, right? You know, but I really like. I mean, I love what I do. So every single time we we lay out an Angus, let's take some photos." Put it up in the old Instagram page, right? <laughs> Laid out 15 today, right? Hang it. Can you imagine if they did that? It would be the end of the beef industry. For sure. Right? 
Like if you if you I mean, do those pictures exist? I'm sure, but what they they show pastoral settings and kids and 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 cattle on the range and beautiful landscapes and you know hardworking. That's the image that they're to get social license. The people at McDonald's don't want to see the dead thing. They just want the burger on the grill, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. But you don't have the cat. Like the cattle industry, what have they done? They've had to rebirth themselves, not because people people were getting the anti-hunting version of abattoirs and stress, and now we're talking about regenerative agriculture and smaller scale, for, you know, ranching, and you know, uh, real. Uh, you've got uh, organically and ethically sourced beef. There's this whole change, right? Because they recognize there was this pressure on their industry. You guys have to show something different. Be, and was that them? It's not like the cattle industry went out and said, "Hey, let's put pictures of our abattoirs up." Yeah, let's show how we kill things with the, you know, let's show how we kill the animals and, and how we bleed out. Let's show all of that stuff. Let's just show it to the world. They didn't say that. Somebody else got a hold of it and said, this is what they do. And they're like, yep, that ain't going to work. They, and they took ownership of it and they took it back, yeah. right? And now they've, I think, you know, as, as much as humanly possible, cattle, the cattle ranching industry has done a really good job rebranding themselves, right? For what it is, it's a necessary, it's organic protein. We're getting back to that whole thing mm-hmm. where, you know, the vegan movement's got a little bit of work cut out for it, right? You know, so I, I think as a hunting community, we can look at that. They're not out doing it. They're selling a different story so they can get social license, right? Just look at A&W commercials. 100%. It's right <laughs> yeah. there. 100%. Yeah. They're walking around. Oh, they're grass-fed beef. They, they got all this room to walk around in. Okay, what, well, what happens at the end? Um, we're no. not going to talk about that. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. sir. <laughs> exactly. Well, l- let's go back to social license and how, how it looks when you have the Taltan managing on the landscape. And then here's a headline. Ottawa spends $5.7 million on deer eradication in Haida Gwaii featuring New Zealand sharpshooters. There's three years to eradicate introduced deer on six islands. So y- y- you know what happened there. Like, the people went, oh my God. Why wouldn't you just open up more hunting opportunities, bring money in instead of spending it out, allow people to come and take this free range, natural organic protein instead of, as they say in there, to leave it for the wolves. Yep. What, what, where's the, the, the social license on that? How is that a better decision to manage our wildlife than allowing hunters to go in and inject money into the economy. Yep. Although I gotta say, if they're shooting all the way from New Zealand, those are some crack shots. They're Creedmoors. They of have course to they be. are. Yeah. yeah, of course they are. <laughs> so, what what can we do as a community? I, I mean, we just wanted to kind of talk around some of the some of the different things that are in front of us. Um, I think that there's, you know, you got 1.3 million hunters in Canada, um, and if we're we we all need to be more mindful of the, of the face that we put that faces the public. And right now, um, we have some challenges in front of us. But we, there's not just a rebranding exercise. We have to also make sure that we're, we're, we're bringing our voices together so that we can be heard on the things that we can agree on. And I'm hoping that one of the, one of the really good things that's in front of us, there's a number of different, uh, there's the Fish and Wildlife and Habitat Coalition um, that's come together, which is a lot, which is a, which is a broadly formed group of uh, different um, organizations inside the wildlife space from Ducks Unlimited and Wild Sheep and uh, SCI, BHA, uh, Bear Tourism. There's a whole bunch of organizations that mm. have signed on to that. And what they're trying to demand from the province of British Columbia is a, is a better uh, way to manage. And they're looking at different formulas and different ways and mechanisms that we can get a better result uh, for everybody that's in the uh, outdoor space, not just hunting. Um, 
Um, so that's one of the mechanisms. Now we're going to have some folks that have signed on to that agreement. Uh, we're going to have them on one of our, in our next episode. So, um, look forward to that. But right now, one of the best things that's going right now is Wild Sheep Society, Steve, and the Act Now. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, basically, it uh, started a couple of weeks ago. We had some of our members write in, and they saw the writing on the wall, as we've discussed this last hour and a half, of uh, what's going on and what we need to do. So we threw together a campaign we called Act Now. And basically, we've made it uh, idiot-proof. It takes 15 seconds. You go to www.wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now and you type in your name your email address and you select your MLA if you don't know who your MLA is there's a big red box you click on that you put in your uh, your postal code and it tells you who your MLA is and if you don't live in BC or Canada you can still support us because it's not about just about hunting it's about managing wildlife soundly by science by evidence and uh Basically, yeah, you click uh, that you don't have an MLA and your voice gets lent to it. So as, as we've said, we need everybody off their asses to, to sign this and uh, let people know that uh, we've, we've had enough of the way our wildlife is being mismanaged in British Columbia. Yeah, and I can jump in on that idiot proof because uh, I was able to do it without any sort of hiccups. So. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> we did it right. That's right. So uh, we need we need a better level of engagement uh, and kudos to everybody that's already signed on. But here's the problem, you know, you got 110,000 hunters. We're 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 going to just do my math. We're going to cut that in half, right? We need 55,000 people to, to 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 sound out. If you take a look on the anti-hunting side of this equation, any single time, um, I think uh, I, I'm not sure if it was Greg Ransmag or if it was uh, Kent Maitland. I saw somebody share some stats. Oh, that would have been Greg. I helped him put together that. Yeah, there was a there was a whole <laughs> there was uh, there was a whole bunch of statistics shown for how many people were signing on to some of these anti-hunting. One had twenty six thousand. One had five hundred and ten thousand. Yeah, like like, and they do it in no time. Like they do it in absolutely no time. Now remember, uh, we're, what we're looking for, what we're advocating for, and why this is important is this is us saying, hey, manage wildlife better, right? Yeah, it's not about hunting. Yeah, this is about let's let's manage better wildlife for everybody. That's a better soundbite for us right now. There's no reason that every single person listening to this podcast, everybody you know, everybody they know, if they hunt or if they don't, if they care about wildlife, whether they're in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Yukon, I don't care where they're from, Idaho, I don't care where you're from, sign this thing. Um, if, if, you, if you want to continue to have the privilege to hunt anything, you're going to need wildlife to do it. Um, and we need to show that we can stand together. Like, that, that's one thing we didn't even touch on in uh, the, uh, this, this campaign, is what really, really got people's attention is it's usually they go after the predators. They're called, the, the paper is called Large Carnivore Hunting. But buried deep in there, they use the words elk and bighorn sheep as trophy value. So you can bet that they're, as, as we talked about, they're going to go species by species by species by species. And if they've named five species in that paper, they're going to be quite happy knocking off one. And then that paper's going to come out next year and they're going to knock off another one. And then we're going to be going in 10 years going, well, shit, how many grouse do we have left? Right? And if they're going to come for grouse, they're going to come for rabbits, they're going to come for all that crap. It's just ridiculous that we, we've made it so easy and you need... You're going to get sick of seeing people like myself and Greg Rensmag and Don posting and talking about it because we want to show up on the sto- on the steps of the legislature in June with all these letters. Because every time you send a letter, we get a copy. 
and we're going to physically print them all off. We want to be able to go up to uh, Premier Horgan or uh, Minister Conroy or whoever the representative is going to be and go, here we go. We, we aim for 25,000, but we got 55,000. And that represents half the hunters in British Columbia. And we need that voice. Voices, absolutely, Steve. We need at least 55,000 of them. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's got to be a goal line. If, there, if there's a goal line for us, it, you know, in a perfect world, to get 100,000 people to stand up and, and sign uh, these petitions uh, and get, you know, 100,000 letters to take to the, to the ledger in Victoria to say that this is what we want, you know, as a hunting community. But to get there, we have to focus on the word community, which means all of us standing shoulder to shoulder, whether you're a guide, resident hunter, First Nations, trapper, outdoor enthusiast, we got to find uh, the common spaces that we all occupy uh, and look for at least the, the things that we can agree on. More wildlife, better habitat, and, uh, and pay attention to the things that we can do to influence those, uh, those end games. So um, anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I know social license is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a tricky one. Uh, on the firearms legislation, if you're not a member of CCFR or NFA, make sure that you are and make sure that you keep that fight uh, in front of you. Don't leave it behind you in the rearview mirror. No different than what's going on right now as we talk about large carnivore hunting, um, you know, and the word trophy hunting. We'll be dealing with trophy hunting in future episodes. And we're going to take a look at that word. Let's remember that that word is not our word. We do not use that word. It's not a prescription for how we in the hunting community see ourselves. Uh, it's a word that's been uh, taken over by the anti-hunting movement, and it's been charged with their value and their definition, not ours. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how we take all of the power out of that, uh, and uh, I don't know if we need to take the word back, but we need to absolutely get out of the lexicon when people are talking about uh, hunters and uh, hunting. Anyway, thanks for listening to the Cutbanks conversation. Just a quick shout out to my brother, John Willimont. Uh, great. Uh, a, a first John, Chris and Taylor. Thanks for our last episode on uh, the back road to recovery. It was great. Uh, super emotional episode for me. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. But John sent some great work with Clear the Gear. Uh, and you'll see some of those clear the gear stands uh, showing up at lakes and riverside uh, fishing areas uh, around BC. So thanks, John, for your efforts there. Anyway, from Donnie W., Stevie Wonder, Maddie, uh, and all of us here at the Cutbanks Conversations, thanks for you know spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. Have a great uh, week. We'll see you guys next episode. Cheers.